0: Hey, church family, it's good to be back this week. Glad that we're not watching bizarre weather forecasts that uh, don't, aren't helpful. Yeah, I think people say baseball's the only uh, profession where you can miss seven out of 10 times and be considered a Hall of Famer. I think I think weather is more so than that. You can be right one out of 100 times and maintain your job. Uh, and that's not a knock at weather, man. That's just talk about trying to predict what we have no control over. So hey as we come tonight here's what I'd like us to do just to continue to uh, be a church family that's in prayer. I would love at your table if just one person would volunteer to pray aloud for what's going on uh, over in Ukraine as the situation continues to get rough and rough. We've got multiple people in the church with connections and ties over there and so if you just one of you at each table would would just volunteer to pray right there. Y'all joining at your table and then I will uh, pray here in a second and we will move into our time of study tonight. So if you do that uh, and then we will we'll move forward. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight. And we recognize that, God, as we as we sit in here tonight, as we fellowship with one another, as we open up your word, as we sing praise to you, Lord, we do so um, with, with essentially um, peace and calm outside. Yeah, and I know that we have brothers and sisters, not just in Ukraine, but even in other parts of the world. <sighs> where lives are in danger, where there are noises of terror all around them, and um, Lord, we know you're there. We do ask from a human standpoint for your deliverance and their lives physically. Um, Yeah, and as our brothers and sisters endure what they are enduring in Ukraine, as the eyes of the world are on that nation and as many politicians have seen and noted the courage of their president, Father, may far more people see your grace and might and power through the way in which our brothers and sisters stand and walk with you, where we ask for peace, bless our time tonight, it's in your name we pray, amen. If you remember, two weeks ago we uh, we we went into when it comes to how do I open up my Bible and hear God talk to me, and, and, and again it's it's a trick question because if you open up your Bible and read God's Word, you are reading what God is saying. Now, the the one caveat to that is you do have to interpret it correctly because if you read and say, well, I read today that David slew some Philistines, so therefore God's telling me to slay some Philistines. One. No, that's not what God is saying, uh, and so that's we were two weeks ago. We were we were at the point of saying how when we read our Bibles, how do we interpret what we are reading? We understand we start with observation. Open my eyes, O Lord, to behold wonders in Your Word. But we have to go beyond. What do we see in the Word? What what are we seeing? What all is there to answer the singular question? What does God mean? And we don't get to determine the interpretation. We don't get to determine what God means. God knows what he meant when he wrote it and he still means the same thing. So we need to understand what is, what does he mean? And so we're gonna jump back in there tonight before we round out with application uh, because there was a part of interpretation we didn't get to, which is uh, in scripture, there's different kinds of, of genre, okay? You've got, you've got works of history, you've works of poetry, You have works of wisdom. You have works of prophecy. You have, uh, technically the gospels are considered their own kind of genre. You have New Testament letters and you have what we would call apocalyptic writing. And so each, when you read there, there's key things to to pick up on so that we, in interpreting it rightly, can then move to the final step, which we'll finish with tonight, which is applying it correctly into our lives. So uh, this is not necessarily on your cheat sheet. I am still figuring out how to, it may just be that I just, you know, if you want a note packet, I'll just give you the whole note packet. I I don't know, there's a lot here. when it comes to interpretation of scripture, we would follow what what would be what would be the linguistic, grammatical, historical method. Here's what we mean by that. Linguistic the language matters. Grammatical, paying attention to how language is used, how it is constructed, taking it as it is written in the way that it is written. Historical, understanding it in its context. What the author who wrote it meant, what those who first read it understood it to mean—that would be the, the correct thing. And I give you that because I noticed not that everyone in here is probably on the, uh, the Instagram theologian train, uh, but I, I saw a new, um, saw a new term today I'd never heard before. It's a narsageet, a narsageet of scripture. All right, we're supposed to do exegesis, seeing what the text says and pulling it out. As opposed to eisegesis, which is reading something into the text that's not there. A narcegesis is someone who reads themselves into the text in a way that's not there. And anyway, so I just don't know how, you know, who knows. So, all right, old, uh, uh, biblical genre. You have Old Testament narrative, or if you want to call it Old Testament history, or if you just want to make it real simple, you say, hey, I work with preschoolers, great. Old Testament story. Old Testament narratives, so these are things like Genesis, a good chunk of Exodus, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and Second Chronicles. In these Old Testament narratives, here's the key things we need to understand to interpret well. One, God is the hero of them all, okay? God is ultimately the hero in all the Old Testament stories. Part of the Old Testament story's purpose is to reveal who God is and his character and the way that he relates with people both his chosen people people outside his chosen people righteous people wicked people Uh, we see God doesn't just reveal God's character through his actions but we see God's character revealed through through speech in ways that God speaks these Old Testament stories parallel our lives in a lot of ways there's a lot of connections. In fact, this is part of what Paul picks up on in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where, where, he, where he essentially says, are you unaware, my brethren, or do you not remember? And he, he then proceeds to quote three different Old Testament stories, and he comes to the backside of it, and he says, all of these things were written for our instruction. So when you come to the Old Testament, there's two key things you and I need to understand from the New Testament. One, Jesus on the road to Emmaus walked through all the law and the prophets and helped them interpret it in light of him. He showed them how the law and the prophets point to Christ. So we understand the Old Testament is pointing to Christ. We also understand that the Old Testament was written for our instruction. Understanding who God is, how to relate to God, how he works, how we should walk. In that, all the Old Testament stories have a, what we would call a strategic tension, meaning they are written intentionally. They're not just thoughts kind of journaled. Exodus is not just Moses's diary. Let I me mean, put it that way, it's not just kind of, oh, I recorded a lot of thoughts, and then there's a good chunk of years where I just got really bu- busy managing anybody and became a bad journaler, and then I started back again because I read a great book by some rabbi. That's not what they are. It's It is a intentionally thought out, structured, uh, text where there is tension built in. Uh, you can see that Sunday in the passage we look at in Chronicles. If you look at just Chronicles 14, there is a tension. There's peace in the land, peace in the land, peace in the land, peace in the land. Largest army to ever come against. They go out. There's this tension builds up. Lord, who is there but you? Then there's the, the deliverance. There's, there's a tension built up in a lot of the narratives that you see in the Old Testament on a chapter level, even on a bigger level in stories. Um, you find in there, inside of that structure, it's vital that you and I understand the context that the story falls into. Uh, it's vital that you and I know the context and don't just kind of take this story and rip it out. And that's kind of the, um, the in between. Let me give you maybe an example is, I have to really watch the clock. Let me not give you an example, it doesn't matter. Um, you need to understand context. You need to understand that sometimes in the, in the Old Testament passages, we see who God is. We also see examples that we should follow. We also see examples we should not follow. Oftentimes in applying the text to our lives, once we understand what it means, we don't only need to look at how do I fit in the positive side of the story. We also need to be willing to say, do I unfortunately fit the negative? side of the story. Even the book of 1st and 2nd Samuel, Samuel in Hebrew they're one book, um, they're a classic parallel. Saul, the guy who looks like a king, the guy that people want as a king, who does not trust God. David, the man who doesn't look like a king that even his own dad doesn't think of to offer for the king who trusts God. And at times in our lives, if we're honest, we look more like Saul. And sometimes and so you just, you, that's in terms you gotta understand context, gotta see the examples that are there. Old Testament laws, how do we relate to the law? We could take, take like five weeks to talk about this. The Old Testament laws should not be ignored, which means if you read through your Bible book by book, you can't justify skipping Leviticus. <clears throat> but you might need to jump over to some other books for a little bit too to help you out. The Old Testament laws are God's word. They're not somehow not, now not God's word. Now, we need to understand, though, that all of the Old Testament law was ultimately fulfilled in Christ. Jesus says it. I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law, which means that practically, and what you see play out in the New Testament, is there are parts of the Old Testament law that are still binding on us, and there are parts of the Old Testament law that are no longer binding on us. And part of the basis is, was that law in the Old Testament tied to the sacrificial system? Was it tied to a a health related reason? Was it tied to something else? Or was it tied to uh, God's very moral character? So what I mean by that is whether or not you sacrifice your sheep on Tuesday or Thursday versus thou shalt not murder, right? One of those is no longer binding on us. One of these is still binding on us Because it's a reflection of God's greater character. and the Old Testament, the New Testament is vital in helping us in this way. We need to understand that when you read the Old Testament law, read it in terms of the the story context it's in in scripture. There's a reason God was giving these laws to his people at this time. They are part of a massive story. Uh, They are scripture, but we know, especially Romans seven and eight, as Paul fleshes that out, we are no longer under the law of, of death, but we're under the law of the Spirit and life. And why? in some ways, some of, some of the things that we would see as ticky-tack, we're no longer under in the law. Think of your, um, I'm pretty sure all of us are eating things in here not allowed under the law. <laughs> but in other ways, go read the Sermon on the Mount. The law that we're under under the Spirit is far more heightened because I'm pretty sure no one in here has murdered anybody, but if you've hated someone in your heart, you're guilty of murder. So understand that as you go through the law, uh, read it in light of the context, read it in light of Christ's fulfillment and understand you and I can wrongly interpret the law and use it in bad ways. Let me give you a classic example, obviously question I got with college kids a lot. Is it okay for me to get a tattoo because Leviticus? Or I don't like that God's not okay with tattoos. And here's the deal. We're not even going to get into that conversation tonight. What I want you to understand is the Pharisees, Leviticus says, if you're caught in adultery, you get stoned. The Pharisees find a woman caught in the act of adultery. They bring her before Jesus, say, let's stone her. And does Jesus stone her? No. Wait a minute. But the Old Testament law said, my point is you and I better be very wise and very thorough in how we apply the Old Testament law scripturally because you see it can be easily misinterpreted and used for wrong gains. in case everyone's worried, oh no, pastor's got a secret tattoo, I don't have a tattoo, I have no desire to have a tattoo and that's a whole different conversation about whether you can or can't. So anyways, uh, not for tonight. Psalms and Proverbs, we call this poetry and wisdom. Uh, Psalms, we easily identify with Psalms because they express our human emotion. I mean, I, uh, I just, in, in as Bethany and I have have sought to get settled here, and um, as I am it, it easily able to fall asleep when given the opportunity to be still, uh, presently because I have a daughter who doesn't. Um, in my personal time with the Lord, I've spent a lot of time in the last six months just in the Psalms. Uh, they're, they're simple, they're bite-sized, but they also, especially as we've walked through some things of heightened emotion, I'm able to connect and to process, and some of them are songs of worship to sing, some of them are prayers to pray, right? All that is to say is we connect with the Psalms because they are very natural expressions of the human heart, it's exactly what they are. Now remember, a lot of the Psalms are songs that are intended to be sung by a congregation. And just an example, I, uh, if, if you're familiar with the, uh, the um, Christian duo Shane and Shane, they have several albums that are just psalms. Now, I'm not saying that how they play the psalm was the original melody, don't, but where they take the lyrics of psalms, and that's what the whole song is. It's just the psalm, uh, that many of them are songs, they're prayers, we see different kinds of psalms, hymns, Thanksgiving psalms, uh, psalms of praise, Uh, Songs that declare praise. So, you know, um, your loving kindness endures forever. Songs that narrate praise, seeing the faithfulness of God through the story of Israel. We see historical songs. We see lamenting psalms. We see imprecatory psalms, which, yes, are scripture. Where David prays things like, Lord, my enemies, pull their eyes out and slay them. (laughs) And I'll just give you a side note. Um, you need to be very careful praying in Precatory Psalms, but I often have wondered if sometimes certain things that we as believers should be praying for justice on doesn't happen because we fail to sometimes pray things like that. I'm gonna give you a soft example by what I mean. I'll never forget when I first went into ministry at at First Baptist Carrollton 10 years ago. um, My first, I had a staff member who worked for me that quite legitimately hated my guts. And I worked everything I knew how to work to try to make good relations with that person. And about a year in, uh, that person, um, there had been a lot of issues. That person began to, in front of students to another staff member at a youth event, start to trash me and my character. So that staff member came and said this. So I brought this person in said, hey, look, if you wanna be on the team, be on the team, and we'll agree to disagree in private, but you can't do that, anyways, all this. And I just remember it was a sticky situation, lots of family connections in the church, and so I, the next day I had to take our missions minister, he has cars in the shop to lunch, and i never forget, I'm, I'm telling him this, wait, I don't know, what yada, 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 and as on I-35, right by the 121 overpass, I almost had a wreck, because as I'm describing this, this was what he looks back and he says, have you prayed that God would take her out? Wade, can I pray that God takes someone away? Like, is that even a, and here's why I say that. So I went back to church and I said, Lord, here's the deal. This is what's going on. This is such a messy situation. Her church is very implanted, her family is very implanted throughout the church. And I don't feel that I can remotely do what I need to do in the ministry if she is truly not going to. I mean, it was crazy at that point. Next day, first thing in the morning, she walks in, put her two weeks notice on the desk. (laughs) And then all of a sudden it became fun for the other pastors to say, don't cross West, we'll pray you had a job. But, (laughs) which I just hated. I was like, oh, it's terrible. It's not what I wanna be known for. Here's my whole point though. The imprecatory Psalms do teach us it is okay to pray and ask for justice. Now we gotta be careful. It's not pray to just pray hateful prayers to God asking for lightning to strike anybody you don't like but all parts of scripture are part of scripture and we need to be able to learn to interpret. So anyways, that's too much on imprecatory anyways, but there you go. Uh, royal and messianic psalms, in fact, the majority of prophecies I think in all of scripture come out of psalms. So our psalms is the most, is the most quoted book of prophecy in the gospels. There's all sorts of messianic uh, prophecies in psalms. Psalms help us think about who God is, respond to God, think about him appropriately. Um, proverbs, we mentioned this last week, proverbs are practical. Uh, guidelines for how life is best lived the key in interpreting proverbs are which proverbs are promises of God which promises are generally wise statements that generally speaking will be blessed because that is what a proverb is it's a general small pithy statement of wisdom often using parallelism comparing or contrasting some are promises, some are simply wise guidelines that, that are applicable to anybody, not just a child of God. And it's vital you and I understand that because we, we, you can take a Psalm, um, or take a proverb, for instance, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Uh, Trust in the Lord God with all your heart, do not lean on your own understanding. and all your ways acknowledge God, and He will direct your paths. General guideline or promise, that's a promise. Affirmed throughout the rest of scripture. Train up a child in the way they will go and when they are old they are not depart from it. Is that a promise or is that a general statement? And understand how you interpret it goes a long way practically into impacting any parent who's walked obediently with the Lord, but had a child who's struggled for a while. So we've gotta process through and see that. And, and what's there? Old Testament prophets. I love the Old Testament prophets. It's probably my favorite. My favorite section of scripture is the last half of the book of Isaiah. Uh, they are the preachers of their day. They are calling the people to covenant faithfulness. Uh, there's two aspects to prophecy, what we would call forthtelling and foretelling. And most of us tend to think of prophecy as foretelling. Let me tell you what's gonna happen in the future before it happens. And the prophets certainly do that in scripture. But the overwhelming majority of what they say is what we would call foretelling. People, this is the situation. This is what God says to this situation. They are speaking forth God's will and God's truth into that situation. That is the primary role of the biblical prophet. There's 16 prophetic books in the Old Testament, four longer ones, 12 shorter ones. Uh, there's four four groupings. There's the 8th century prophets, Amos, Hosea, Jonah, Micah, Isaiah. Uh, there's those ministering during the rise of Babylon, Jeremiah, Nahum, Zephaniah, Obadiah, Joel, and Habakkuk. There's those who prophesied during the exile, Ezekiel and Daniel, and those who minister after the exile, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. I mentioned several weeks ago having helpful resources. The prophets are a great place to have a good study Bible or Bible dictionary to help you get a little bit of background on what's going on, what are they speaking to, What uh, what is taking place, what are they calling out. Uh, We always see constant themes, the call to faithfulness to the Lord, God's covenant, God's character. We see a remnant of people who will will remain. We see a call to what may be in light of present things they will call societal justice. What I mean by that is we see God's right standards played out throughout society. Uh, This is classic, uh, I think of Isaiah 58, where God says, Basically, you're fasting and praying and you're acting like I'm not speaking, but it's because when you fast and pray, you're doing it self-centeredly because you're going about defrauding your workers and, and enslaving people. And he goes and names multiple things they're doing at violation. Even though they're, they're showing up, putting the lamb on the altar and singing the right songs, God's not responding to him because there's all these other areas that they're refusing to do and he says if you'll repent of that and change that then that's what we mean by societal justice and i phrase it that way because i know the term social justice has gotten all sorts of crazy from when i first wrote these notes like 10 years ago and so i updated to say what i mean is justice played out in everyday life in accordance with god knowing his commands living them out uh, there is so much in regard to modern day christianity and the prophets because the prophets are God's truth to people, who either knew they were in rebellion, or didn't think they were in rebellion, and God's calling them to faithfulness. At the same time, there's just rich truths of who God is and His faithfulness and His His restoration. I mean, we uh, people will always, you know, one of the, one of the things is, well, how is you know the God of the Old Testament so hateful, God of the New Testament so loving? False. Same God. One. Two. Um, I remember reading Jeremiah chapter 25 when I was towards the end of college. In Jeremiah 25, God says, through Jeremiah, he says, for 23 years, I have called you to repentance. And if at any point you had stopped and repented, I would have restored you. But you've, you've now gone past the point of no return. So Babylon's gonna come and take you into exile and break you of the sin. Now here's what's fascinating to me about that. If you really study what Israel was doing, I mean, it's, it's the kind of stuff that we would all go, oh my goodness, that's what we heard ISIS did. Kind child sacrifice. God, for, and I remember when I read it, I was about 21 or 22 and I, read, I realized, wow, God gave them more time to respond to his message of repentance than I've been alive even though they were unbelievably wicked, because God is patient. And it wasn't God, I don't think, it was God was like, yes, I get to bring Babylon on. He just knows they crossed the line and the only way they would ever be broken of the idolatry was that hammer. And so we brought Babylon. So there's powerful things in the prophets. I love the prophets. New Testament narrative. What we mean by New Testament narrative are the four gospels and acts. And I say gospels are a unique genre of scripture because they are not don't think of them as jesus's biographies they are biographies in the sense of an ancient biography they are not biographies like you and i read a biography today biographies today try to compile every little bit of information and line it all up from starting point to ending point the gospels that's not how it is some of the gospels are not arranged in chronological order Some of the stories are out of order, some of the stories, all the gospels have a purpose. They are written through a theological lens to demonstrate to a group of people that Jesus is in fact the Christ. So they all are ultimately thinking like this, they're a biographical argument. They're arguing for a specific purpose, that is that Jesus is the Christ. So there is a structure to each of them uh, uh, walking through them. And so in one sense they are biographical because they show Christ's life. But they're not a biography like you and I think of a biography from here's the first thing Jesus did, here's the last thing Jesus did. Although ironically, they all pretty much do that. It's just what's in between is, is written in a specific order. And that may be through miracles, that may be through like the book of Mark builds up to Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ, and then goes down to the cross and the way it's constructed and what's done. The book of Acts, is, um, is looking at what is the early church, looking at the early church moving, but from the lens of Jesus saying, you're gonna be my witnesses in Jer- Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, and it is the movement of the gospel through those ways. Here's one of the keys with Acts. What in Acts is descriptive, what in Acts is prescriptive? Here's what I mean in that. There's a lot of miracles that happen in Acts is that descriptive of what happened or is that prescriptive telling us how it should be? It's a big difference, that's one of the biggest difference between a non-charismatic or a charismatic church is how you interpret that question. So it's vital we understand what is describing what happened versus what is commanding the way it's supposed to happen. In both the Gospels and Acts, you need to understand the cultural context of these stories and resist the urge to read stuff in. Let me give you a great example. John chapter 2, Jesus turns water into wine, uh, and it's the first of, the, of, of, of seven key miracles uh, in the book of John. There are places in scripture that deal with, should a believer drink or not drink? You should never try to use John 2 in the discussion either way. Why? Because the Old Testament said that when the Messiah shows up, wine will overflow that miracle does not have anything to do with a with a convert with a theological should we what is God's will what is not that miracle has to do with demonstrating Jesus is in fact the Messiah and the further you dig down into the cultural context, understand that Jesus rescued that family from permanent social disgrace on a practical level in the miracle. So we want to be careful what we do and how we come out with it. Again, the alcohol is addressed in Scripture. There's a lot of places that address it. But we need to be be faithful with how we interpret what we're interpreting when we do it. Um, The teachings of Jesus. Jesus uses a lot of different ways. Some are sermons, some are questions, some are parables. Here's just the key thing I'll mention a parable. A parable has a singular point, it's a one point story. It's not an allegory where every single person and character has some special meaning and you and I have got to figure it out. There's a singular point. We want to understand what that point is. The main character is often representative of God. And And you want to find that one right point. And the New Testament epistles, these are probably the places that are easiest for believers to read. Why? Because they're direct letters applying, taking all the truth that's there throughout all the narrative of Scripture, all the prophecy of Scripture, all the law of Scripture, and, and what they are is they're telling you this is what is true and this is how it needs to impact your life. That's why most of us probably read and, and most pastors probably preach more in the epistles than any other place because there is a simplicity, a direct reality to them. When you're reading an epistle, understand that that letter was, uh, other than Timothy, Titus and Philemon. And depending on how you wanna argue about Luke and Acts, every other letter in the New Testament was not written to an individual, it was written to a church, to a group, which means it would have been read aloud. But just going back to how do we observe, sometimes it's helpful for you and I to read scripture aloud, because that's how it was written and how it was meant to be understood. Um, and in the, in, the, in the New Testament letters, if in the narratives you want to look at what's the story, where is it building up to? In the epistles, you're looking at real. That, that's more where you're zoning in on. Well, what does that verb mean? What does that preposition? Why? How does that connect? Or the, what's the old, the famous hermeneutical joke? Every time you see a therefore, ask what it's there for. Um, that's the kind of stuff you do in the epistles. You're looking at structure and grammar, subjects, objects, modifiers. This is exactly what you'll notice. This is some of the reason why um, Sunday and Second Chronicles, you probably noticed, I didn't provide a whole lot of definitions of stuff. You know why? Because there's not a whole lot of unique words there that need defining. It's, it's, it's a story that's driving a point. When we're walking through Philippians, if we hit a key word that needs defining, why do we do it there? Because Philippians is a different kind of genre where it really matters that that word, for instance, this Sunday, uh, part of the passage will say, we eagerly look for our savior who comes from heaven. That word eagerly look is only ever used by Paul to describe our attitude towards heaven. It's not used for anything else. Okay, well, that, that, that means something. That, that's a pretty big deal in the line of, so that's what you understand is, is when you it doesn't mean that words don't matter in stories, it just is certain things you are moving in on. Now, remember this with the New Testament epistles. Your Bible, hopefully, has chapter and verse marks. Those are good, because it'd be really hard for me to say to you, please turn to the book of Philippians, about t- three quarters of the way in your Bible, and if you'll make it, I don't know what kind of Bible you've got or what page it's on, but if you'll make it to the 27th paragraph unless you have a Bible that indents every verse, in which case, I'm sorry, <laughs> right? Like in the Middle Ages, the chapter and verse marks were put in so that we would be able to easily say, please turn your Bible to Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. But what that means is sometimes they can fall in very unhelpful places that cause you to maybe miss. The Bible wasn't written with those. The Bible was written without those. Let me give you an example. In the book of Colossians, chapter two, says in verse 20, if you have died, Paul's writing to address, they're dealing with a a kind of legalistic Judaizing faith. You've got to do this, this, and this, these external things in order to be right with God. And so he's writing to address that. He says, if you've died with Christ, rhetorical question to elementary principles of the world, why do you live as if you were living in the world? Why do you submit to such decrees such as do not handle, do not touch, do not taste? He said, these matters for sure look like their wisdom and self-made religion and harsh treatment and, and self-abasement, but they do nothing to stop fleshly indulgence. And if you stop there, you go, okay, so what is he saying? Do not handle, do not touch, do not, do not, do, you know, this doesn't do anything to change. And if you stop there, you might get halfway, but the Bible, that's where the chapter stops. It's not where the text stops. In fact, the next verse says, therefore, in light of the fact that you've died to these things because you're now in Christ, in light of the fact that these things don't actually change your fleshly longings, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, which if you've read the whole book, you'll know is rhetorical. He's already told them they have. If you've been, since, since you've been raised up with Christ, it would be better, seek the things above. Set your mind on the things above. So as I'm reading that and all of a sudden move it, that's when I all of a sudden had the realization why sometimes as the way we disciple people to overcome sin, sometimes we fall into problems because a lot of times when someone says, I'm struggling with this sin, we immediately jump to, well, don't do this, don't do this, and don't do this. Now, yes, don't do the sin. That's truth, yes. We're not saying that's just generic. They're, they're, don't do it. But very specific, I remember two young high school guys and we were talking about, as I was discipling, they were battling with uh, pornographic, pornographic images and we talked and And typically when that conversation goes, this is how it goes. I'm struggling, I recognize it's wrong, I've, asked, I've, I've repented and I want to do it right. Okay, well, make sure you tell your parents. Let's get you accountability. Let's put software on your computer. Let's take your phone out of your room. Let's, and so they do all that and it helps and then somewhere down the line they fall again. And I remember when I read that and, I, and I, I skipped out the verses, I went, wait a minute. Paul's not saying, do not taste, do not touch down. He's not saying that it's bad. He's saying it doesn't fix the problem. There's nothing wrong with accountability. If I have a high school or junior high kid struggling with pornography, I'm absolutely, if they have godly parents, going to get the parents involved. There's nothing wrong with having filters on your computer. There's nothing wrong with taking electronics out of the room. But if my faith to give me strength to say no to porn is on the basis of the fact that I have those rules in my life. It will never change my heart. Those aren't bad things. Those can help me. But I have to learn how to set the eyes of my heart every moment, moment by moment, day by day, seeking the things above where Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, seated because he's completed the work to pay for my sin. There is complete victory in him. And I have to learn to set my mind on the things above, taking captive my thoughts. That's gonna be, that's all called walking in faith by the Spirit. And that will be how a person has strength to say no. Doesn't mean these things aren't important. Doesn't mean these things aren't needed. But if this is what I'm trying to sit in to give me strength, if I'm trying to sit in the ottoman, pull the ottoman out, as long as I'm seated in the chair, I don't fall to the ground. Pull the chair out, doesn't matter if my feet are up on the ottoman, I'm still falling. Where's my faith? This is what I mean. When you read through the New Testament epistles, look more for what is the paragraph and how do the words relate to each other, not just what is the chapter division with the subtitle ahead of it. All right, now real fast on our last little deal. And this, this is good. Application, if you and I, if all we do is observe scripture, even if we interpret it rightly, but we don't do anything with it, we've failed. What does James say? Do not be hearers of the word only, be doers of the word. Ezra 7.10, it says Ezra Ezra delighted himself to, to know the law of the Lord, to practice it, and then to teach it to God's people. The ultimate goal of you and I opening up the Bible, of hearing God speak, of reading it correctly, is so that we know Him truly, love Him completely, and actually follow Him faithfully. And all three of those things really—they're—they're they're the same. If you love Him truly, you're going to follow Him faithfully. The goal is to know and follow Him. So that one writer put it. Um, Too much Bible study begins and ends in the wrong place. It begins with interpretation but also ends there. Observation plus interpretation without application equals failure. That is every time you do those but fail to apply, you perform an operation on the scriptures in terms of their purpose. The Bible was not written to satisfy you and I's curiosity. It was written to transform our life. The goal is not just to have tons of Bible knowledge Right, this is the classic danger. When I was in Awana, I, I, I have every award I could have gotten in Awana at our church. And I'm not saying that to brag because here's what my mom noticed. Memorization came easy and I was very competitive. And she would tell me all the time, Wes, it doesn't matter how many of those verses you can rattle off if you don't actually believe them and understand what they mean. I had students who were national champion Bible drillers Who knew the Bible in and out, and today don't walk with Christ at all because something happened in the process before they got to application, Now, vice versa. If you interpret it wrong, you're gonna apply it wrong. So interpretation's key, but if we interpret, we've gotta apply. So let me give you real fast, five ways we substitute. We think we're applying, but we're not. We substitute interpretation for application. This is one. This is what it means. We've got a lot of really good knowledge. We can tell you all these really cool things but we're not actually living it out. That's what the Pharisees were doing. And as a side note, I, I, and it's not even just that we're, we're puffed up in pride, but it can be things like this. Paul says in Second Corinthians chapter one that as as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so is the comfort of Christ. And as we experience his sufferings, we will also experience his comfort. Well, the inverse of that would then seem to mean that if I refuse to ever experience his sufferings, I would also seem to hold his comfort at a, at, a, at a distance. Maybe more of us don't experience the suffering of Christ or the, the comfort of Christ because we're really afraid to experience the suffering of Christ. We've got to, we've got to apply, we, we, we change knowledge for application. I, I know that Jesus is comforting, but do I do I actually, am I willing to follow where it's there? Uh, practically, that's what it means. If you If you've never really spent a lot of time reading your Bible, and you come out of this all excited and you're reading your Bible, You're probably, for the early days of your time in the Word, you're going to feel like you are learning new things all the time because you've never read any of it. Down the road you may go, I don't feel like I'm learning as many new things. It's okay. The goal is not how much you know. It's how much what you know is transforming you. So don't substitute interpretation for application. Don't su- substitute superficial obedience for substantive life change. Here's what we mean. Man, that passage, that's, that, that, maybe that sermon, that sermon really good, man, talking about sharing the gospel. Well, I shared the gospel yesterday, I'm good. That was yesterday. If God's telling you to share the gospel with a guy today, go share the gospel, right? That's what we mean by don't substitute. Uh, well, I do that over here and you totally miss applying that over here. I'm, I'm pretty loving. I'm good. I, I, I love unconditionally. Yeah, you love everybody unconditionally who will put up with your type A personality. But what about those who drive you nuts? Are You, lo- you know, that, that's what we mean. Like, don't substitute partial obedience for full obedience and not see things. Don't substitute what we would call rationalization for repentance. You're reading in the Word, God exposes a sin in your life. Instead of repenting well but i really don't do it like i really don't think of it like that i really don't and you find ways to rationalize and make it all okay this goes back to what we've been looking at philippians church family we need to be humble we need to be humble enough that if god tells me i'm in sin my answer is not rationalization it's lord you're right i am so sorry because none of us in this room none of us are above sinning We need to make sure we don't substitute an emotional experience for a volitional decision. I realize most of our room here tonight are of a different generation than I am, and so I don't ever want to over-harp emotion stuff. I see it very common with the younger generations that are wired highly emotive, but I think all of us can do this. Wow, that sermon just touched me. Oh man, I just feel so good. That's great if we felt really good about it. Did it lead to anything in our lives? Man, that's so incredible. Look at how faithful God is. Well, I'm actually trusting that God is faithful when push comes to shove. Just because I feel a certain experience doesn't mean I'm actually applying it. Make sure we apply it. Don't substitute communication for transformation. This is what it means. I know a lot of you in here, you've known Jesus a long time. Some of you read your Bibles a lot of times over. This applies to me. I know the word well. But just because I can communicate what the word says doesn't mean that I'm applying it. And when I mean communicate, I don't mean preaching. I just mean your ability. Oh yeah, I know what that verse is. You spout out off that knowledge. I can talk a lot about it, but I don't live about it. Are we living it? Are we applying it? So how do you apply? One, know. That's what you're doing in observation and interpretation. Know the text. Know yourself, know the text, do quality observation, interpret it rightly, know yourself. Be humble as you see scripture point into your life. Relate, I think this is what's on your sheet. Ask questions, how does the text come to play in our life? Does the text, does the passage tell me something about who God is, to believe, to trust? Does the passage tell me something about about me, whether does it expose sin, does it tell me that I'm valued, does it, what does it say? Does it show something about how I am to relate to others, either lost or saved? Does it expose a personal sin? Does it expose a corporate sin? Is there a promise to me as, 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 as the child of God? Is there a command? And just remember, you and I don't have to have a special feeling at a command in order for it to, to apply to us. Um... When you hear the call to share the gospel, you don't have to have, ooh, yeah, I really feel like I should share the gospel. I don't have to have a special feeling to share the gospel. If there's an opportunity to share the gospel, I need to share the gospel, regardless of what my feeling is. Is there an example of faithful obedience to follow? Is there an example of unfaithful obedience, disobedience to reject? Uh, nine questions to ask. Is there an example for me to follow? Is there a sin to avoid, a promise to claim, a prayer to repeat, a command to obey? By the way, a prayer to repeat, and I know many of you probably already know this, but I find it all the time, there's a lot of times I don't know what to pray. Praise God for his word that gives me a lot of prayers to pray. Moments of of exhaustion, moments of hurt, moments of pain. Lord, what do I pray? One, praise the Lord for the truth that when I don't know what to pray, Spirit's always praying for me perfectly. Two, praise the Lord, especially for a lot of the Psalms. There have been many periods in my life where I have prayed many a Psalm because I really didn't know what to pray, but God's word gave me what I needed to be able to pray and ask. Is there a prayer to repeat? Is there a condition to meet? Abide in me. Is there a verse to memorize? Is there an error to mark? Is there a challenge to face? And then and as, you, as you ask these questions and see how does, how does what this passage says, remember one interpretation, maybe many applications, how does this passage apply in every aspect of my life? The final, the, 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 the next part of it is to meditate on it. And right, we've said what meditation is. Meditation is not what we think of as this Eastern idea of meditation where I sit and I, I, I zone everything out and I just sit there and quiet my mind and try to push everything away. That's not what biblical meditation is. Biblical meditation is where in your mind you focus and hone down on something and you actually repeat it out loud on your lips over and over and over. That's what biblical, That's what the word means in the Old Testament. That something sits on your lips and you say it over and over and over again. This is you and I taking what we see there in scripture and it is repeating it to ourselves over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And do you wanna know what will strengthen our our faith? Meditating on the word of God. I am very pro all of us having uh, daily time alone with the Lord. If you wanna call that quiet time, great. There is no command in the Bible that says you must have a quiet time every day. There are a lot of commands in the Bible that say, meditate on the, on the word of the Lord day and night. So if we're having a quiet time where we get alone, but we don't ever meditate on it, we're missing what scripture actually commands and calls us to, to chew it over and over and over and think on that. And there's practical ways. I told a guy in college, he goes, how do I do it? I said, why don't you get an index card and write one verse that applies to you every day. And he did it. And then for 40 days, he put them up each day and he had a whole wall full of verses. And there's, it's so easy to keep scripture in front of us. It just takes a choice. And in this, let me say this, because I've heard this so many times. God, as we come, as, as pastor prepares to get up and preach, would you just teach us something new today? It is not about learning something new. It is about knowing and believing on resting on what is true. And the hunger that I've got to always have something new has led many a believer down dangerous lines of heresy. God may teach you something new. You might've learned something new tonight, I hope so. But I'm more concerned that you learned what is true. Even if you heard it for the 1 millionth and 99th time because maybe it finally clicked. Or maybe it need to click in a place we, that you didn't see it click. It's not about us learning something new, it is about us knowing and trusting what is true. It's better to focus on quality in the way that I read the word than quantity. That's why in really hard, busy times I have. Lately as I'm trying to adjust to a whole new normal, I've spent more time in the Psalms. Because I, I, I can I can do that and find ways to meditate on that day and night rather than trying to like, Let me go and try to parse all the verbs in the book of Hebrews again. Um, I've never actually done that, by the way, so I can't say again. Um, Quality time in the word. And then last is this. You You know it, you relate it, you meditate on it. Last is this. You and I have to practice it. You and I have to actually go and do it. And the great news is, here's the deal. It's not just up to you and I. God will put us in situations where we have to practice it. Man, God, it's just incredible to see all this scripture. You're just showing me how you're faithful and how I can trust you. And what does God do? Count it all joy when I allow this trial in your life. Are you gonna believe that I'm faithful? And is your trust gonna endure through that that belief? Because here's what happened. The more you continue to come back to that truth I've shown you about me and the word, you meditate on it day and night, the more you continue to trust and cling to me that I am faithful, all of a sudden, what you and I aren't seeing that God's doing is he's growing our endurance. And what does that passage say? I said it Sunday, I'll say it till I'm blue in the face because I need to hear it more than anybody. And let endurance have its full effect that you may be mature. We gotta practice it, we've gotta put it into play, we've gotta live out, we've gotta take captive our thoughts, we've gotta meditate on scripture we've got, if if the purpose is to know God, then application is vital. That means knowing God can only happen in action, not just in theory, not just in platitudes. Knowing God occurs when we follow him, not when we just stop at asking a million questions. And I'm not anti-questions, but we're not going to get every question answered this side of heaven, but we're called to follow him. So, this is application, this is how we put it into our lives, this is Ezra to a T, he committed himself to knowing the law, Ezra 710, and to practicing it, and then to teaching it. So I hope this is helpful, this is by no means as much as we could go into, but I hope this is helpful if you move into the word. Well, we're gonna head next week in light of this, uh, we're gonna look at a lot of the things that people call errors of the Bible. I'm do a little apologetics next week. What about people who say, well, don't you know that we don't have any original copy of a single book of scripture, true? And it's actually a really good thing and I'll explain why next week. Don't you know that there's all these other books of, of scripture out there, true? But we'll talk about why that's not scary. Don't you know that this, this passage says this, but this passage says this? Don't you know that the different manuscripts of scripture have differences? We're gonna unpack all that next week because here's the deal. Some of you either are asking those questions or if you're not asking those questions, I feel very confident in this day and age, you will know somebody most likely even in your own family that are asking those questions because of the proliferation of these kind of things on social media. And whether you're asking the questions and tomorrow, next week is to help strengthen your faith, whether next week is help to help equip you how to talk those, um, I hope it will be there. So we'll, we'll see you next. That's where we're gonna head next week. And um, appreciate you being here tonight. Let me close this out in prayer, and we will uh, feel free to stay and linger, or uh, we'll see you Sunday. Father, thank you for tonight. May we be a people. I'm gonna just back up. Lord, may we be a people who hunger to be a people that actually apply your word into our lives. God, who are not content to have our hearts aroused, but to continue just sitting. The Lord, who are not just hearers of your word, the Lord who hear, who believe, who trust, who obey. So Lord, I hope and pray that just all of us would go and at least have one one way, one thing we can come and sit down and anchor ourselves in as we come to your word. Um, Father, thank you for everyone who's here. God, as we go out this week, may may you just fill us with your wisdom and may we see through the lens of your word with your eyes and may we believe what you said. It's in your name we pray, Jesus, amen.